0: Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 99 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get rolling for this episode of the show, I want to thank everyone for checking out the last episode of the podcast, our tribute to one of the most iconic properties on the Las Vegas Strip the fabulous flamingo as the flamingo celebrated its 75th anniversary we took a deep dive into the history of this legendary hotel and casino from billy wilkerson's imagining of the flamingo as the most luxurious resort las vegas had ever seen to its mob roots with bugsy siegel at the helm to its current status as a favorite of visitors to sin city If you haven't had a chance to listen as of yet, jump into the archives at JeffDoesVegas.com or search out episode number 98, The Fabulous Flamingo, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here we go. On to the show. I got to tell you, it feels so good to finally be releasing this episode. It's an episode that's been almost two years in the making. It's time for a world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. It's a rundown on my most recent trip to Las Vegas from December 11th to 18th, 2021, which was my first trip to Vegas since January of 2020 and my wife's first trip since December of 2019. This was also our first trip to Las Vegas, and really our first trip anywhere, since the world went completely sideways back in March 2020 with COVID-19, so it was certainly an interesting experience to be back traveling and be back among crowds of people. If you're familiar with my past Trip Report episodes, you already know how this works, but if you're new here, let me break down how the episode is going to go. I'm going to run through the highlights of the trip, including a review of our hotel, a rundown of the restaurants we ate at, and give you a recap of the shows we took in during our week in Vegas. I've also got a few extra thoughts to share with you, along with a few tips and tricks that might help any upcoming Vegas vacation you've got planned be a bit more enjoyable. Now, being that this was our first trip in two years, as well as a trip to celebrate my birthday, we did go a little more overboard than usual, and since we spent a full seven days in Vegas, as opposed to the usual three to four days, there's a lot to cover this time around. So, without any further ado, let's get things underway. (music) As with past trip reports, I'm going to begin with our hotel experience. This time around, we made the decision to stay at the Cosmopolitan, which is way outside our league. If you've listened to any of my past trip reports, you know that I usually choose to stay at some of the more budget friendly or mid range spots like Bally's, the Flamingo or Park MGM prior to this trip the most upscale place we'd ever stayed was caesar's palace and even then it was only because i'd somehow scored comps for that property now why did we pick the cosmo this time around well back in april 2020 my wife and i were supposed to go on a -a once-in-a-lifetime trip to saint martin we'd booked an all-inclusive vacation package and when covid hit that all went out the window as such we had a big fat travel credit that we needed to use So in planning out this Vegas vacation, knowing it was going to be our first trip in a long time, we wanted to do it upright and pick somewhere that we'd normally never stay. We looked at the Bellagio, Aria, and the Wynn, but after comparing the properties, we decided on the Cosmo. And I'm so glad we did. The Cosmopolitan has essentially ruined us for any of those so-called budget-friendly hotels. We booked ourselves into one of the Cosmo's famous terrace one-bedroom fountain view rooms. We scored a room on the 46th floor of the Chelsea Tower facing the fountains of the Bellagio. I can honestly say this is one of the nicest hotel rooms I have ever been in. The rooms are just over 600 square feet with a separate living room area that includes a couple of nice comfortable couches for lounging. The bathroom is huge and features a full walk-in shower plus a Japanese soaking tub that offers a view of the Vegas Strip. It was nice to discover that in addition to the minibar fridge, which was fully stocked with all the usual overpriced mini bar staples, the room included a separate fridge for guest use, so we were able to store our own snacks and beverages. The room also featured a tablet which could be used to control all the lights in the room as well as access the Cosmopolitan's website to book reservations for restaurants, spa appointments, or just gather any info you might need about the property. The big selling feature of the Cosmo rooms that everyone loves are the balconies. Our room featured a huge private terrace that offered us absolutely stunning views of the Bellagio Fountains and north up Las Vegas Boulevard both day and night. And although it was December and the weather wasn't exactly conducive to sitting on the terrace enjoying a beverage, it was still very cool to be able to step out there and enjoy a totally different view of Vegas from anything that we'd ever seen before. Now, all of this being said, as much as I love the Cosmo, I do need to bring up a few little issues that we experienced during our stay, both with the room and with the service we received at the property. We arrived in Vegas at around 1230 in the afternoon. So by the time we grabbed our luggage from the baggage carousel, found a rideshare, and made our way to the hotel, it was just before two o'clock. We made our way up to check in and were informed that they didn't have a room ready for us. Totally reasonable, considering we were there before the 3 p.m. check in time. They gave us our room keys, told us we could store our bags with the bell desk, and when our room was ready, Rose, their virtual assistant, would send me a text message with our room number, and because the keys had already been set up, we could just head up to the room. The agent told us that our room should be ready around 3-ish, so we dropped our bags and decided to head out in search of something to eat and to wander around for a bit. By 3.30, we still hadn't received a message about our room, so we decided to make our way back to the Cosmo with a brief stop on the way at CVS to grab snacks and drinks. It was around 4 o'clock by the time we got back to the hotel, and there was still no word about our room, so I decided to visit the check-in counter again to see if our room was ready. We'd had a very long day, and we had dinner reservations at 6 o'clock, and we really wanted somewhere to freshen up and get changed for our night out. The agent behind the counter apologized for the delay, reissued our room keys, and was able to get us into a room right away. So I'm not sure if this was a failure of the Rose virtual assistant due to my Canadian cell phone number, a problem that I ran into elsewhere as well, or if they were just slammed and hadn't gotten around to getting our original room ready for us. Once in the room, we ran into a problem with the room safe. It seemed that the previous guests had left it locked meaning we were unable to use it to store any of our valuables. I called down to guest services asking if it was possible to get the safe opened and reset the agent. I spoke to informed me that their facilities team was quote slammed and likely wouldn't be able to get up to the room for several hours. He also told me that if the facilities tech came to the room and we weren't there, they would just mark the work as completed and move on and we'd have to get rebooked to have it fixed that this wasn't the kind of work that they could do without the room occupant being present in the room. I asked him where we were supposed to keep our valuables, and he didn't really have an answer. And because he couldn't give me any specifics on a time to have the repair completed, we ended up not getting it done. As such, I ended up storing my valuables in my laptop case, inside my suitcase, underneath my dirty laundry. Someone's going to steal my stuff. I'm going to make them dig through my stanky underwear to do it. We also ran into issues with housekeeping. Whenever we stay in a hotel for any length of time, we generally only get housekeeping service done every couple of days to make the bed, give us fresh towels, and empty the garbage cans. We checked in late Saturday, so by Tuesday, we were in need of having the room serviced. We headed out for the day to do some shopping. We were gone by about 1030 and didn't return until after 3 o'clock. When we got to the room, we saw the housekeeping cart parked outside of our neighbor's room. We entered our room to discover that it had not been serviced as of yet. Assuming that since the cart was outside the room next door, our room was next, we were just going to wait for housekeeping and ask them to replace the towels and empty the garbage. That was really all we needed. We waited and waited and waited. And about 30 minutes later, I decided to peek outside our door. The housekeeping cart was gone. They had completely skipped our room. I double-checked to make sure that the do not disturb sign wasn't on the door. It was not. So again, I called guest services to ask them to send someone to bring us towels and empty the bins. The agent I spoke to was very friendly and apologetic about the whole situation, and they sent someone up about 30 to 40 minutes later. As for the room itself, you can tell that the Cosmo is starting to show its age and is in need of a few small repairs. The door handle between our room and the adjoining room was loose. The handle for the tap in the shower needed to be tightened. There was a light switch in the bathroom that needed to be replaced as it was partially broken, and the toilet had a leak in the seal in the tank that caused it to run intermittently. Overall, though, I have to say we had an absolutely amazing stay at the Cosmo, and I will absolutely 100% recommend it to anybody looking for a higher-end hotel for their Vegas trip. All right, now it's time for what is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, my favorite Las Vegas topic, food. Being that we hadn't been to Vegas in close to two years, we wanted to make sure we found a good balance of visiting all of our favorite spots and checking out a few new, or new-to-us, restaurants as well. To begin, let's talk about the repeat locations. songs Cantina at Mandalay Bay. Serving up legit Mexican food, this place is always on our list of must-eats when my wife and I do Vegas. With a massive menu, the food is incredible, the service is amazing, the portion sizes are exactly as expected, and the atmosphere is awesome. Word is that the margarita was invented at the original Husong's Cantina in Ensenado, Mexico, back in October of 1941, which of course means that the margaritas here are fantastic and beat the hell out of any of the sugary, slushy crap that you're going to get along the strip. Rira Irish Pub at Mandalay Bay. I can't even count how many times I've reviewed this place on the podcast. It's easily one of mine and my wife's favorite spots, and we will always make the effort to go here. I had the bangers and mash and she had the shepherd's pie, both of us having a Guinness to go along with our meals. I will add, we actually visited Rera twice in one night. After doing a show at the Luxor, which I'll tell you more about later in the podcast, we made our way back to Rira for another couple of Guinnesses, an order of sausage rolls, which, by the way, were amazing, and some live entertainment with Dave Rooney of the Black Donnelly's. This was our first time checking out live entertainment at RERA, and I can guarantee it will not be our last. We had an absolute blast, and it was great being able to finally catch up with Dave after having him and his partner Dave Brown on the podcast all the way back on episode number 63, where we talked about their various Guinness World Records and their documentary, An Irish Story, This Is My Home. The Henry at the Cosmopolitan. Being that we were staying at the Cosmo, it was super convenient for us to grab breakfast here, as we've done before. Once again, I went with the signature short rib benedict, and my wife had the Henry breakfast. If you want a full in-depth review of the Henry, you can jump way back into the archives and check out episode number 15 of the podcast. Yardbird Southern Table and Bar at the Venetian My wife and I love this place, and we've been looking forward to going back here for months. If you're not familiar, they do Southern cuisine with a big focus on fried chicken, and it is phenomenal. We'll usually do it up family style, ordering an appetizer, a main, and a couple of sides, splitting them up between ourselves. This time around, we went with the deviled eggs, Lou Ellen's fine fried chicken, which is literally half a chicken, the mashed potatoes, and the crispy Brussels sprouts. It was all absolutely fantastic. We were, however, a little disappointed to see that they'd taken the collard greens off the menu. That's something that we just can't get up here in Canada, and we always enjoyed having them at Yardbird. We told the server about it, and he told us that we weren't the first ones to mention it to him. With any luck, maybe they'll be back on the menu by our next trip. Latai, downtown. It was two years ago on my wife and I's last trip together that we ventured down to Fremont to have dinner with a friend at Latai. We did it all over again, and we were impressed all over again. As I mentioned in my last review of this place, they market themselves as, quote, the best Thai dining in Vegas, and it's easy to see why. I myself am not a big Thai food guy, but I love this place. I had the Massaman curry with shrimp, and my wife had the chicken pad Thai. If you want to get a full review on the Thai, pop into the archives and check out episode number 47. Village Cafe at Ellis Island. I've reviewed Ellis Island a ton of times on this podcast, and I've always had a great experience, which is why it pains me to give a somewhat negative review. The issue was not with the food. It was excellent as usual, or even the service inside the restaurant. Our server was great. However, the experience of actually getting into the restaurant was not fun. We arrived on Sunday morning at around 10 o'clock, so of course the place was Packed, which we totally expected. We got up to the counter and were told it would be about a 30 minute wait. Fine, no problem. I was then asked to provide my cell number as they use a text system to let you know when your table's ready. I was told I'd get a text immediately and then another text when we were good to go. After about 20 minutes of wandering around, I realized that we had not received the initial text as of yet, so I thought I'd better go let them know and see where we were in the line. I made my way up to the counter to let them know that I hadn't gotten the text and was rudely told by the hostess as she shoved the iPad with the lineup in my face, quote, all of these people are ahead of you, so you'll just have to wait. Whoa, back up. I told her that I wasn't asking to cut the line. I was just asking where we were in the line because I had not gotten a text, which I assume was due to my Canadian cell phone number. I then told her we'd just grab a seat and wait, pointed to where we were sitting, and politely asked her to let us know when we'd be going in. She turned away in a huff and then completely ignored us until it was time to take us in. As I say, I've always had good experiences with Ellis Island in the past, so I'm just going to chalk this one up to someone was having a bad day and move on. Now, on to the new and new-to-us restaurants that we visited this time around. I'll start with the Block 16 Urban Food Hall in the Cosmopolitan, which we took advantage of several times. Staying at the Cosmo, it was super convenient having a spot right on the property where we could grab a quick bite that wasn't your typical food court fare. Several mornings we did breakfast from District Donuts Sliders Brew. They have a great selection of specialty coffees and teas, and their craft Donuts, the flavors of which rotate on a daily basis, along with their bruléed cinnamon roll, are freshly baked every day and are frigging amazing. They also have a large menu of various breakfast biscuits, sandwiches, and burritos. We also did dinner one night from Lardo, a sandwich shop in Block 16. We were looking for a quick meal before heading out for a show and didn't feel like going hunting for a restaurant, so we decided to grab sandwiches and fries from this place and just ate them up in our room. My wife had the Korean pork shoulder sandwich, and I had Sancho's grilled cheese sandwich. Both were fantastic, portion sizes were perfect, and the price actually wasn't too bad. It was about what you'd expect to pay at a higher-end sandwich shop. On this trip, we made our first trek over to the Sahara in many, many years. How long has it been since we've been to the Sahara? Well, the last time my wife was in the Sahara was when it was still the Sahara, keeping in mind that there was a three-year period where the property was actually closed before it spent five years as the rebranded SLS and then once again became the Sahara. While we were there, we took the opportunity to try one of Sahara's brand new restaurants. In fact, it had just opened five days prior to us checking it out. We ate dinner at the Noodle Den, and I can honestly say this was one of the best meals we had on this trip. Their signature menu item is their hand-pulled noodles, which the chef actually makes fresh for each order. And if you're sitting in the right spot, as we were, you can watch it all happen. It's really an incredible process. Uh, we were also watching the chefs making all the dumplings and desserts as well. It was fantastic. We split an order of the steamed prawn dumplings. My wife had the Taiwan beef brisket hand-pulled noodle soup, and I had the braised pork belly with green onion cakes, which actually doesn't appear to be on the menu anymore, meaning that they're likely still tweaking their menu items. Either way, the food was awesome, the service was excellent, and for the quality, the prices were extremely reasonable. I'd highly recommend you make your way up to that end of the strip for a bite to eat next up for breakfast we tried maxi's on the link promenade it's all the way at the back of the promenade almost as far as the high roller they've got a great menu that includes all the staples like steak and eggs biscuits and gravy and various omelets but what they're best known for are their breakfasts with a twist like the cotton candy pancakes which come topped with whipped cream cream cheese and cotton candy Or the Fruity Pebbles French Toast, which is French toast infused with Fruity Pebbles, topped with rainbow chocolate chips, cream cheese, and whipped cream. I went for one of their world-famous Benedict boxes, which is essentially an eggs benedict, but instead of being served on top of an English muffin, it's served inside a hollowed-out honey butter loaf with the poached eggs and hollandaise sauce inside and on top of the loaf. I had the Denver Benedict, which was loaded with ham, onions, and peppers. It was absolutely amazing. My wife went with the classic Belgian waffle with mixed berries and was also very, very impressed. And finally, being that this was a birthday trip for me, I wanted to go out to a high-end steakhouse for a special night out. On our last trip two years ago, we tried the Golden Steer, and were absolutely blown away. We debated on going back again this time around, but instead decided we wanted to try somewhere new. We ended up at Oscar's Steakhouse at the Plaza downtown. Named after the former mayor of Vegas and mob attorney, Oscar Goodman, it's located on the second floor of the Plaza inside a glass dome that overlooks the Fremont Street experience. The atmosphere feels very classic Vegas, and the restaurant is packed with tons of memorabilia from Oscar's time as mayor of Vegas, as well as photos and autographs of the various celebs who've dined there. We absolutely stuffed ourselves, and it was so worth it. For an appetizer, we ordered Johnny Quinn's crab cake, and for our mains, my wife had Manny's 9-ounce rib cap, and I had Oscar's 24-ounce bone-in ribeye. For sides, we split a baked potato, the glazed mushrooms, and the grilled jumbo asparagus. This was an incredible dining experience. The food was perfect, and the service was outstanding. But be warned, dinner at Oscars is not a cheap night out. With drinks, an appetizer, mains, and the three sides, it was $240. All in with a tip? This was a $290 meal, but honestly, worth every single penny. Now, before we move on from the food section of this trip report, I do have a few pieces of restaurant-related advice that I want to share with you. Reservations are key right now. We made reservations for all of our dinner spots, and I'm so glad we did. As Vegas is getting busier and more and more people are coming back, it seems like it's getting harder and harder to just walk into places. Several times while we were waiting for our tables, I overheard walk-ups being told that it would be an hour and a half to a two-hour wait to get in. One of our Lyft drivers also brought up a great point that I hadn't even thought of. Most of the buffets along the Strip are still closed. And as such, that's a huge number of people who'd normally do buffets that are now having to head to restaurants. So... My advice is that if you're going to Vegas anytime soon and there's a specific restaurant you're wanting to eat at, book ahead to avoid disappointment. Hours are still limited at a lot of restaurants as well. So if it's been a while since you've been to Vegas and you're used to 24-hour dining everywhere, be prepared for a bit of a shock. You may be a bit hard-pressed to find late-night dining, so just be sure to check hours online before venturing out for a bite to eat. Watch your bill closely. There have been several recent posts on social media from people who have seen odd little service fees popping up on their bill. But what happened to us at Yardbird is something that I've never seen before. When the server brought our bill to the table, he pointed out that there had already been an 18% gratuity added on. And when he brought my credit card and the merchant copy for me to sign back to the table, I noticed that they had pre authorized the total amount, including the 18% gratuity, but there was still a spot on the slip for me to add a tip. So, if a person wasn't totally paying attention or didn't have a server who pointed it out to you, you'd essentially be double tipping. And if you have any dietary restrictions, be sure to double-check with your servers that, A, what you're ordering is going to be suitable for you, and B, what's being brought to your table is right. My wife is severely lactose intolerant and is always very careful about what she's eating, but we did have a couple of issues at a couple of places. When we went for breakfast at Maxi's, she asked the server if the waffle she was ordering was dairy-free, as occasionally they'll use buttermilk to make waffles. The server immediately answered, yes, but she asked if he could check anyway, just to be safe. He walked away and came back a few minutes later saying, nope, there's no dairy at all. However, when the waffle was brought out, it was covered in whipped cream and we ended up having to send it back at Yardbird, We ordered mashed potatoes as one of our sides, which we knew were made with cream. However, they offered a vegan option, meaning no dairy. So that was what we ordered unbeknownst to us that definitely wasn't what was brought to our table and my wife ended up very very sick so again if you've got any special dietary needs never hurts to double check with your server next up let's talk entertainment i have to say after the last two years being what they've been it was an awesome experience to be able to be back in a vegas theater enjoying live entertainment it felt like it had been forever over the course of the week we managed to take in several shows let's start with fantasy at the luxor fantasy is a topless review show and it's called the luxor home for over 22 years It's earned a ton of Best of Vegas awards, including Best Production Show, Best Female Review, Best Bachelor Party, and Best Showgirls. The show features a stellar cast of performers who do an amazing job of keeping the audience entertained and engaged for more than just the boobs. Lorena Perel was amazing as the hostess, and Murray the Magician, who's appeared on this podcast before, served as the mid-show entertainment with magic and comedy. My wife and I actually saw Fantasy many years ago on our first ever Vegas trip back in 2003. We enjoyed it back then, and we enjoyed it this time around. If you're looking for something a little different show-wise, I would highly recommend it. Moving on to something a little more family-friendly, let's talk about the magic of Jen Kramer at the Westgate. Jen was a guest of mine here on the podcast a year ago, back on episode number 80, and my wife and I were honored to be invited to be her guest for her show. We had excellent seats right in the front row with VIP seating, but there really isn't a bad seat in the house as it's a very intimate venue. Jen has a great energy and pulls off some incredible illusions during her performance, including some amazing feats of mentalism. There is a bit of audience participation, which always makes for a fun show because you never really know what's going to happen. As mentioned, the show is very family friendly, and if you're bringing kids to Vegas, they're going to love this show as well. Of note, this is an afternoon and early evening show with show times at 3 and 5.30 p.m., so it's a great pre-dinner activity. Also, keep in mind that after the show, Jen heads outside the theater to meet and greet audience members. So even though you can't take photos during the show, be sure to bring your smartphone for pics with Jen afterwards. Also over at the Westgate, my wife and I once again got to be the guests of The Bronx Wanderers. We first saw the Bronx Wanderers in concert on our last trip together two years ago while they were still performing at the Link. Since then, the boys have had their fair share of upheaval. A couple of months after we saw them in December 2019, they relocated from the Link to Harrah's. Then, shortly after that, the world shut down for COVID-19. Unfortunately, they never got the opportunity to reopen at Harrah's, and Bronx Wanderers fell victim to what I called the Day the Music Died when in May of 2021, Caesars Entertainment suddenly announced the closure of multiple shows and smaller venues, leaving the boys without a home in Las Vegas. However, in July of 2021, it was announced that they'd be making the move to the north end of the strip to the legendary Westgate. The show opened at the end of October, and they've been rocking ever since. If you want a full rundown of what to expect musically and what the show is all about, jump into the podcast archives and check out episode number 47, which was my last trip report episode. And also take a listen to my conversations with Vin A. from the Bronx Wanderers in episodes number 48 and number 77. Next up, we decided to take in something totally different and brand new. We checked out America's Got Talent, Las Vegas, live at the Luxor. Las Vegas is already home to multiple AGT winners and finalists, with the likes of Terry Fader, Shin Lim, Piff the Magic Dragon, Tapeface, and others already having their own headlining shows along the Strip. However, what this show at the Luxor does is take some of the lesser-known AGT contestants, who are all pretty incredible in their own rights, and puts them on one stage— If I'm being honest, my wife and I went into this show with relatively low expectations, and we actually ended up being very, very impressed and had an awesome time. The lineup included season 12 finalist comedian Preacher Lawson as the host, season 11 semifinalists knife-throwing duo Deadly Games, season 13 finalists aerial performance artists duo Transcend, and season 16 winner magician Dustin Tavella. The standout of the night, though, was season 14 winner, songwriter and pianist Cody Lee. Cody is an absolutely exceptional human being. He's 25 years old, and he was born with optic nerve hypoplasia, which caused him to become legally blind. He was also diagnosed with autism at a very early age, and he also has Addison's disease. By the time Cody was done performing, I don't think there was a dry eye in the theater, He was absolutely incredible and was given a well-earned standing ovation. Now, if you want to see this show, I would recommend seeing it sooner rather than later. The crowds have apparently been a little light, as was evidenced by the huge number of empty seats we saw and the huge upgrade we got to the third row from the back of the theater. And rumor is that it might not last too much longer. And finally, I would be totally remiss if I did not mention the time I was able to spend with my Monday's Dark family. Longtime listeners of the podcast know the love that I have for my Canadian brother from another mother, Mark Chinook, and the twice-monthly charity show he puts together called Monday's Dark. If you're not familiar with Monday's Dark, essentially, Mark gathers together some of the best performers from around Las Vegas, puts them all on one stage for a night, and raises $10,000 for a local Nevada charity. Once a year, he moves the show from The Space, a small venue off the Strip, and hosts a huge anniversary show to celebrate the past year's 21 charities and reveal the next year's 21 charities that will benefit from Monday's Dark. This year, the show was back at the theater at the recently opened Virgin Hotels Las Vegas, formerly the Hard Rock Hotel. The Anniversary Show is always an amazing time with some incredible performances, live auctions, and some very memorable moments. Plus, you never know who might show up. And this year, we were treated to a very special surprise guest, fellow Canadian and country music superstar Shania Twain, who joined Mark on stage to briefly talk about some of her own charity work and sing a few bars of From This Moment On with Mark. The highlight of our night actually came after the show, thanks to a text message from Mark's wife, Cheryl. Bit of a backstory here. My wife and I have become mules of some sort over the last few years, bringing Canadian treats and snacks down to Vegas for Mark and our other friends. High on the list is ketchup chips, all-dressed chips, and my wife's homemade butter tarts. If you're not familiar with butter tarts, and if you're not Canadian, you probably aren't, I don't really know how to describe them. You might just be best to Google it. Anyway, my wife and I brought three dozen butter tarts to Las Vegas for Mark and his wife, vacuum sealed in two packs of 18. During the show, Mark gave us a shout out from the stage, thanking us for bringing the butter tarts. Apparently, after Shania made her appearance on stage, she was backstage in Mark's dressing room and spotted the butter tarts sitting on the counter. She asked, are those what I think they are? She was told yes, then said, I'm taking these, and there's nothing you can do about it. Shortly thereafter, I received a text message from Mark's wife with a picture of Shania holding my wife's butter tarts, and the message, quote, FYI, Shania can't wait to eat these. Hope you don't mind. Needless to say, my wife's mind was blown. She was absolutely thrilled, and our night was made. Since we were last in Vegas, there have been a few openings of new properties and attractions that we were looking forward to checking out on this trip. Let's start with the new location of the Pinball Hall of Fame and Museum. Previously located in a former carpet store on Tropicana Boulevard, about a mile and a half east of the Strip, the Pinball Hall of Fame opened their brand new $10 million, 27,000 square foot location on the south end of Las Vegas Boulevard in the spring of 2021. For those not familiar with it, the Pinball Hall of Fame is home to a few hundred fully playable pinball machines and arcade games, from the 1930s all the way up to present day. It's a great place to go if you've got kids with you, it's an awesome escape from the craziness of the Strip, and I guarantee you can make $10 last a lot longer here than you ever could at any of the casinos. The good, the new location, is huge. There's lots of space to have tons of machines out on display. One of the issues founder Tim Arnold was having with the old location was that he was only to display a fraction of the machines he had in his collection simply due to space limitations. But the new location solves that problem, being that it's about three times the size of the old spot over on Tropicana Boulevard. The bad I had hoped that with that much space, they'd have set up a separate area for doing restoration and repairs on the out-of-service machines, a spot away from the public. However, that's not the case, and I did find the Pinball Hall of Fame to be extremely cluttered. There were lots of machines sitting around in various states of disrepair, and it was a bit disappointing to see. Overall, though, it's still an awesome experience and an extremely economical way to escape and unwind for a few hours. If you want to learn more about the Pinball Hall of Fame, jump into the archives and check out episode number 49 of the podcast. Next, I want to talk about Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. This is the former Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, which shut down and underwent a complete rebrand and renovation from February of 2020 through to its reopening in the March of 2021. Even though it wasn't my favorite hotel simply because of the location, I always enjoyed spending time at the Hard Rock because it had character. It was jam-packed with tons of cool music memorabilia, and as a music nerd, I loved wandering around and checking it all out. Well, all of that is gone. Everything that made the old Hard Rock Hotel what it was is completely gone. I'm not going to say it's boring in that it still has a certain look to it, very obviously inspired by the desert landscape surrounding the city. But I think that unless I had a specific reason to go over to Virgin Hotels, for example, a show, as I had in this case, I can't see myself spending a whole lot of time there. Next up is Circa, located in downtown Las Vegas along the famed Fremont Street Experience. Circa is the first new hotel and casino to be built downtown since 1980, and owners Derek and Greg Stevens, who own several other hotels along Fremont Street, wanted to bring a new level of luxury to downtown. There are several unique things about Circa. To name a few, it's a 21 and up hotel and casino, meaning no kids, no families, which I have to admit was kind of nice. You do have to show ID upon entering the casino for proof of age, so just be prepared for that. Secondly, Circus Sportsbook really is second to none. Built at a cost of $20 million, it's the largest sportsbook in the world, featuring a three-story high HDTV and seating for a thousand people. And third, I have to mention Circa's unique pool experience, Stadium Swim. Located above the casino, Stadium Swim includes a six-tiered pool area. It can hold up to 4,000 people and features a 143-foot screen on which you can usually find whatever big sporting events are occurring. The pools are heated, meaning that they can stay open year-round. Admittedly, I was a little skeptical about Circa and whether or not it would live up to the hype that I'd seen across social media. After walking through the casino area, checking out the sports book, and visiting the lounges, I'm pretty impressed. Circa has managed to carve itself a nice little niche into downtown Las Vegas in that the property seems very high end and has a fair bit of character, incorporating some old Vegas into the decor, including a fully restored Vegas Vicky sign. Into the lobby area. Now, unfortunately, we were on our way to meet a friend for dinner, so our time in Circa was relatively short. But next time I'm in Vegas, I'm going to make an effort to spend a little more time there. And finally, let's talk about Resorts World. This brand new resort and casino just opened up this past summer after 14 years of delays, redesigns, financial troubles, lawsuits, and various other bullshit that kept it from being built bit of history here resorts world is built on the former site of the iconic stardust which was closed in 2006 and imploded in 2007 to make room for the development of the mega resort echelon place when the economy went in the crapper in 2008 boyd gaming the owners at the time put the project on hold until they sold it to the genting group in 2013 for 350 million dollars Genting had grandiose plans to develop an Asian-themed mega-resort featuring a replica of the Great Wall of China, a panda habitat, multiple hotel towers, and a huge casino. Genting intended to have that project completed and opened by 2016. That obviously never happened. As the project dragged on, it went through several redesigns, with most of the Asian theming, including the Great Wall replica and panda exhibit, being removed from the plans. A trademark lawsuit from Wynn Resorts, who claimed the hotel tower looked too similar to their own, along with further redesigns and additions to the property, including a 5,000-seat theater, 75,000-square-foot nightclub and day club, an additional 100 hotel rooms, convention space, and the pool complex, meant that the opening would be pushed back to summer 2021. Now, keep in mind that all-in, Resorts World costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $4.5 billion to build, and it's boring as hell. If I could pick one word to describe it, I'd say, meh. My wife and I were incredibly underwhelmed by Resorts World. Not sure exactly what I was expecting, but what I found was a hotel and casino complex completely and totally devoid of any character at all. Walking through the retail area, it could have been any shopping mall in any city in the US or Canada. The casino, albeit big, had zero personality, and I honestly can't think of anything about the property that really stood out to me. And I know I'm not alone in this feeling. Other Vegas visitors, vloggers, and content creators that I've spoken with share the same thoughts. Will I be back to Resorts World? Not likely. All right, I'm just about finished this king-size trip report, but before I close things out, I wanted to wrap up with a few random tidbits. First off, I want to talk about punctuality when it comes to shows. There's a reason that there's a time printed on your ticket. That's the time the show starts. Not 10 minutes later, not 15 minutes later, not 30 minutes later. The time printed on the ticket is the start time of the show at both fantasy and america's got talent people were wandering into the show incredibly late and it's frustrating as hell it's ignorant to the other audience members who have to stand up to let you go by and it's incredibly disrespectful and distracting to the performers who by the way can totally see you coming in late Secondly, there's been some concern in the past about the availability of rideshare drivers. When things first started opening up post-shutdown, there were lots of posts on social media about people waiting incredibly long periods of time for drivers, and when they were able to get rides, paying obscene amounts of money due to a lack of drivers. I think that problem has sorted itself out. We didn't run into any of that at any point during our trip, and we took a lot of rideshares. I think the longest we waited for a lift was maybe 15 minutes, and that was at the airport. For the most part, though, we had rides within 5 to 10 minutes. Third, if you're hoping to catch live entertainment while you're wandering through the casinos, be prepared to be disappointed. That doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. Several of the live music lounges that we used to frequent don't even exist anymore, and wandering through all the big resorts, I don't recall seeing live music anywhere, with the exception of the piano player at the lounge near the lobby at the Bellagio. Fourth, in case you didn't know, there is now a Target on the Strip. It's located just north of the Coca-Cola store, next door to the big Ross clothing store, and across the street from Park MGM. My wife and I have been big target shoppers in the U.S. in the past, so we thought this would be a great place to grab some snacks and beverages for the room. It was not. Everything in the place was way more expensive than at any of the Walgreens or CVSs that we checked, so keep that in mind if you're planning on going there. And finally, I don't want to piss anyone off, so I'm going to keep this short. COVID protocols in indoor spaces are still a thing. That means anytime you're inside, whether it's in a casino, a restaurant, a retail area, an elevator, or a show lounge, unless you are actively eating or drinking, you're expected to be wearing a mask. There are security officers in most casinos and hotels reminding people, and the ushers inside the theaters are doing the same thing. If you're asked to put on a mask, there's no need to be a dick about it. Keep in mind that the person talking to you is probably just as sick of asking people to put on masks as you are of being asked. And that's it for another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. If you want to check out links to some of the restaurants, shows, and attractions mentioned in this trip report, head to the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. And if you want to see photos from my trip, be sure to follow me on social media at Jeff Does Vegas and that wraps up another episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast if you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook Twitter or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas or drop me an email directly at Jeff at Jeff Does In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes. The Jeff Does Vegas Podcast is a Walker New Media production.